Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. Super exciting news for you. We have opened up registration for our second annual Dad Tired Retreat. If you missed it last year, dude, you missed out on an incredible weekend and I don't want you to miss it this year. Make sure you go to dadtired.com forward slash retreat and sign up. We have early bird pricing going on right now. We only have 300 spots for this and we want you to be part of it. It's gonna be September 22nd to the 24th. So get the time off work now. Start doing whatever you need to do to make your wife the happiest she's ever been. So she will give you a couple days away with the guys. Uh, You're going to be poured into a man as a husband, father, disciple. You're going to meet other dad tired guys from all over the country and potentially around the world. It's going to be amazing. Do not miss this. September 22nd to the 24th, early bird pricing, dadtired.com forward slash retreat. Get your tickets today. All right. I love you guys. Let's jump into today's episode. Ken, I'm excited to hang out with you today, man. We've gotten to know each other kind of from a distance over the last couple of years, just working with men and trying to figure out what it looks like to for ourselves to be men of God and to be the best men that we could be, husbands, fathers, disciples, but then in any way that God would use us to help other men do that as well. And uh, I don't know if a lot of guys know this or enough guys know this, but Promise Keepers has made its way back. A lot of people have uh, experienced Promise Keepers, been touched by Promise Keepers, a lot of dudes. For us, like I, it was my uncle that took me. A lot of guys, their dad took them. But anyway, it's back and doing some super, super good things. I've had a chance to contribute to some of the stuff that you guys are doing. But anyway, yeah. share with us what you're up to personally, what Promise Keepers is up to, and uh, yeah, what you're up to these days, man. Yeah, Pro- Promise Keepers was a huge thing back in the 90s, you know, selling out NFL stadiums and all that. And we did have a huge event in Dallas at Dallas Cowboy Stadium. But we sort of realized that the future of Promise Keepers is going to be smaller meetings and an app, which I, it always sounds, I wish it was a better way to say an app because yeah. everybody has an app and it sounds sort of like, but we actually have a pretty huge following now on the app. And the, mm-hmm. the point of it is, is that kind of like what your show does is you, we need men teaching men. We need discipleship. We need the older men to give wisdom to the younger men. Yeah. And we need the older men be, to be willing to listen to the younger men as well. Mm-hmm. So the app is really where we talk to men about stuff like men, meaning so much of our culture is a feminized, even if you go to church, a lot of times you just yeah. don't get stuff. So the app is, is really godly content and it's like what, like we did a, so you've helped us with some of the virtual events. We did one on sexual integrity. We had 200,000 men watch that across the world. Wow. Then we had 5,000 of those guys or 5,500 or something go through a 30-day challenge on the app mm. where it's specifically tr- dill drilled into really specific things and and was getting free of pornography. And we've gotten mm. all these emails from guys like, I'm finally healed. We got one from guys that he was 65 years old and been addicted no. to porn since he was nine. No way. If you're going to be effective, you got to take the issue on like it is, man. And yeah. Instead of this pussyfooting around um, yeah. like we get so often in culture, sometimes guys just need to be told, dude, knock it off. You know, <laughs> yeah, and you got to walk in their shoes too. I mean, one of the things I was exposed for to me that I had no idea is the amount of men who suffer from same sex attraction who are not gay. Now, to me, in my generation, those are the same thing, yeah, but apparently they're not because the amount of guys who are sexually abused when they were boys by mm-hmm. men and then they grow up and they're heterosexual, but they mentally screwed up. So, we, we even had a thing that dealt with that for those guys, and wow. you used to hear about that in the church. Yeah, that I mean, very rarely is the is the church talking directly to men. Yeah. 
are a lot of those resources that you just mentioned still on the app? Like, could guys right now download the app and be part yeah. of that? Oh, that's great. They can get on the app. They can also just go to promisekeepers.org. Okay. But man, if guys want godly content with no no messing around, yeah, yeah we really provide that. Yeah. So you, uh, you just put out a book, right? A new book called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Yeah. It's right behind me here, the red one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us about that. So as you know, I was an LA cop, went through the Rodney King stuff, and I was really in the in the middle of the gang wars in Compton and all that back, you know, at the height of all that stuff in the late eighties or the nineties. Mm-hmm. And then I was, you know, so what I, I guess the reason I'm bringing that up is because I faced death a lot. I was in shootings and, you know, many vehicle pursuits and foot pursuits and all that sort of thing you think of when you think of a cop in a really high crime area. But then I was hit by a jet ski. It was weird because I'd faced death many times, but it was always in a sea of adrenaline and it's five or 10 seconds of sheer terror. And then after you get off work, everybody goes, has a beer and jokes about it, right? Mm, yeah. When I get hit by a jet ski. Cops have a weird sense of humor, by the way. One of my best friends is a cop. I'm just like, dude, yeah. you guys, your sense of humor is just, and which no, I imagine I you have to, you have to be like that to like. You do. Manage. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you, I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many girls, kids I've held in my arms and watched them die. Ugh. And so, you know, you either blow your brains out, which a lot of them do, mm. or you learn how to laugh at things that are unlaughable and hideous to most people, but that it's how you deal with it. I mean, I remember when I first left the LAPD, this is kind of a side thing, but I'd been gone for like a week and I was with my brother and a few other guys having some beers and there was a, a motorcycle coming and a van just took a left or right in front of the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And this dude hit that thing going 45 miles an hour, bam, like, oh, you know, geez. just left a huge dent in it. So everyone screamed in the restaurant, everybody goes running outside. Well, of course I've seen this a million times, right? So. I saunter outside, look down, and the the guy on the motorcycle, he's laying there for a second, and then he seems to start to twitch, which is, we call that the death dance, you know, it's, and so I look down, and I'm like, well, he's dead, which meant he would be dead within two or three minutes. Anybody who's been a hunter and ever, like, clipped the lung of an animal, watch a bleed to death, you'll, you'll know that, that look. And so, you know, I just walked back inside and sat down on my beer and started drinking beer again. And my brother came walking. He goes, dude, what is wrong with you? You're like yeah. a monster. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm. Well, he's dying. I'm like, okay, but 700,000 people die in the world every day. And I don't cry about any of them because I don't know them. And I don't know that dude either. And that that's kind of how cold you get as a cop. Wow. That's gone away for me a lot, but that's yeah. how I was. And you really have to struggle to fit in with people because you people talk about mundane things or something that was a big deal, you know? You know, I remember my wife talking about how her jewelry store had been burglarized that she managed, you know. And I was so traumatic for her. I'm like, mm, big deal, you know. Mm. Well, it's a big deal to her, so I need to be sensitive, you know. How long did it take you? I, this is taking us a route that I didn't plan on taking, but how long did it take you to, like, get that nerve back? Like a that, long time. Really? A long, yeah. In fact, I, I deal with cops a lot. I go speak it to groups of police officers. And uh, one of the things that's common is you get addicted to your own epinephrine. If you're in a really high crime area, I mean... So just to put it into perspective, I averaged about 40 felony arrests per month. I averaged taking about 25 guns off the street per month. And in a month, there are 21 work days. So that's more than talking two felony arrests a day. You're talking about over a gun a day. Wow. Those are all foot pursuits. Those are all fights. Those are all. So the kind of, um, you know, you somebody runs a red light and you almost crash your nose and you feel that epinephrine come into you and you kind of, whoa, whoa, whoa. For, mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting that. Two or three times a day, every day. 
to the point where your body gets addicted to it. And then I was for the, for a couple of years, I was really tired all the time. I'd sleep 12 hours a day. Mm. So I finally went to a doctor and he explained, well, you're addicted to your own adrenaline. You just need to cycle through that for a few years. Your body is, is used to getting this huge shot of adrenaline all the time. And wow. so cops will suffer from that. Wow. So back to the. Yeah, uh, I did the jet ski. Sorry, sorry. I interrupted you. So, but that helped to give a real good background. So now I get hit by a jet ski. I'm in the hospital. I broke all the ribs on the right side of my body. And uh, the doctor walks in and says, dude, and I'm not kidding. You call me dude. You know, I'm laying there. He says, you've ruptured your liver. So here's the thing. If you've ruptured less than 40% of it, we're going to light flight you to a trauma center, cut it out, it'll grow back. If you've ruptured more than 40%, you got five hours to live. Oh my God. So I said, well, how do I, I die? He goes, what do you mean? You don't have a liver. I go, well, yeah, but what kills me? He goes, well, your body will poison itself to death. Okay. So I'm waiting for the results to come back from the CAT scan. It took about an hour. This is back in the late nineties. So it took about an hour, me laying there on this gurney and thinking, am I dying? Like, do I feel mm. myself poisoning? Right. Mm. The whole time I'm thinking, if I die and go see Christ right now, what am I going to say? Mm. Like at that time, I think I was 30. What am I, Lord, Jesus is going to say, I gave you a very specific birth in, in this time in, in the United States of America with a great education in a Christian home. What did you do with what I gave you? Mm. And, you know, who was clothed because of you? Who was saved from hell because of you? Who was fed because of you? And my answer was going to be nobody. Mm. Nobody. I mean, I lived a nice life, Jesus. I was a cop. I was a good husband. I never cheated on my wife. Basically, I was a nice American Christian. I went to church most Sundays unless there was a good football game on or the surf was good, right? So I thought when the doctor came walking in, he goes, hey, good news, bro. Uh, you ruptured your kidney, not your liver. You just lacerated your liver. So you're going to piss blood for a few days and then you're going to be in a lot of pain, but you'll live. <laughs> no, that, seriously, that's how he talked. And uh so I peed blood for like a week and, uh, you know, the, the ribs recovered and I thought I'm never going to end up in that situation again. Mm. The next time I'm facing death, I want to be able to say, Jesus, I can't wait to walk into your throne room with my head held high because I've accomplished everything that you wanted. So that took me on this long, intensive journey of what does that mean? Because in the evangelical church, we teach people that basically you're saved and then that's it. And now you've got your gold star. And then when you go to heaven, you say, here's my gold star. And then we all have a big party. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Right. In fact, Second you know, Corinthians 5.10 says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the deeds done in the body, whether good or worthless. Mm. That's to Christians. We have Jesus saying at the very end of Matthew chapter 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a master who goes on a long journey and puts a slave in charge of his household. And that slave that he finds serving him will be rewarded. But if that slave says in his heart, my master's gone for a long time, I don't know when to be back. So he eats and drinks with the drunkards and beats his fellow slaves. I tell you the truth, when that master comes back, that slave will be cut into pieces and thrown into the outer darkness. Okay. And then and then Matthew 25, Jesus gives the parables of the three servants and the, the you know the minas and then the, the virgins. So we have one slave with a choice. He's either serving God or he's not serving God when Jesus comes back. And the one who spent his time serving Jesus is rewarded and put in charge of many things. And the one who eat and drink to drunkards, meaning lives the good life without any consequences, beats his fellow slaves, meaning gets other people to do his own work. Right. He's cut into pieces. What does that mean? 
it's cut in pieces by the word of God, right? That we see in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. By the truth of the word of God, the outer darkness, what does that mean? I think, I think that means, and a lot of people would agree, it means being thrown out of the wedding feast or not invited into the wedding feast of the Lamb. So there are consequences. All of our sins are forgiven by the grace of God, but there are consequences with what you did with what Christ gave you. Great rewards for those who have served him and great loss and exclusion from those who haven't. For a time, I think that, that after a time there won't there will be. But once you see that, and I, I go that into this in depth in the book, and I've made it real easy to read, you can't believe how much the Bible talks about good works, good works, good works, good works. Judged, rewarded, given. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. You are. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that by grace we're saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, right? So only by grace are we saved, and even the faith that we believe in God was a gift from him. But the next verse, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning, after you're saved, you, me, born again, babies, need to grow, and there's a mission that God has given both of us and every other person who's put their faith in Christ to accomplish with their life. And we will be judged based on how well that we accomplish that mission and Jesus says in Revelations 2 and 3 to the letters of the seven churches, giving different promises, um, back at the end, end of Revelation chapter 3, to the overcomer, the victor, the one who overcomes this world, the temptations of safety and pleasure and security and walks in faith, to the overcomer, I will give him permission to sit on my throne with me at my father's right hand. So that's what the book's about, is our lives matter greatly. People are counting on us to accomplish the mission God gave us. Stay the course. Jesus says to the churches in, in, in Revelation, don't let anybody steal your reward. Mm. Keep going. I had a conversation with my kids last night. It's interesting we're talking about this because just last night, they, there was a different set of circumstances that kind of led up to this conversation, but they came in from playing outside and we were talking about the passage where in scripture where Jesus says, I never knew you. Mm-hmm where they said, but you called me Lord, Lord. And they said, but I never knew you. And this was like baffling to my kids. He was like, well, how, well, what do you do where, where God would say, I do know you. Like, I thought you just need to believe. I thought it was just a faith. I do trust Jesus as Lord. And these are people who said they believed in God. And God said, I don't know you. I'm curious. I'll, I'll tell you how I explained that or how I yeah, fumbled sure. my way through that. But I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts? Like if you were in that situation, you got young kids, they're around eight to 10 years old. How would you have responded to that? Because that's the same question. That's the same question that a lot of guys will be asking right now based on what you just said. It's like, okay, well, I think I'm a Christian, but am I going to stand before God? And God's going to say, I don't know you. And that's right. a terrifying thought. So what do you, how do you respond to that? <laughs> so what you're talking about is the end of Matthew 25. So he gives the, the thing we just talked about, the slave of the choice. The next parable is about 10 virgins who are outside of the gates of heaven and they all have lamps. Five have lamps full of oil, and five run out of oil. They didn't bring enough oil. So then the five with oil go in while the other five are off purchasing oil, and then they come back, and they're they're outside the gates, and the master, the father, God the Father says, what do you want? We want to get in. No, I don't know you. Mm. So that's a different thing he's there saying. These are all Christians. These are all people outside the gates of heaven. Five are led into the wedding feast with the great party where all the great saints are, and those five are they're the idea of being shut out into the dark until the wedding feast is over, excluded. The very next parable is the one of the three slaves. So one guy's given, depends on whether you take the Luke passage or the Matthew passage, but one guy's given five 
talents or pieces of money, one, three, one, one, based on their abilities. The one with five, the master goes on a journey, comes back. The one with five, look, I doubled your money. Way to go. The Luke passage says, go be in charge of 10 cities in, my, in the millennial kingdom. The next one, hey, I had three, I doubled them. Good to be in charge of six cities. Way to go. Well done, good and faithful servant is, is the actual quote. The one with one says, well, I, you're kind of hard. You're kind of hard to please. So I buried it. So here you go. Here's what I gave you. And he says, you wicked, lazy servant. Mm. Thrown out into the outer darkness. There it is again. What's the problem with the one guy? The one guy, he did, wouldn't take any risks. And this is what we see permeating the church today. Mm. Safety. Let, I want to be safe. I'm not, I don't want to say anything social media. People might get mean with me and they might say mm. mean things to me. So what we have with investing is we take risk, risk of loss, risk of discomfort. But the one guy with the one, no, I, I just say I buried it all. I didn't do anything with what you gave me. Okay. Now we get to the parable that you're talking about, which is the sheep and the goats. Now we're talking about a different subject. Now Jesus is saying to the sheep, they're like, well, he said, you, you clothed me when I was naked. You visited me in prison. You fed me. And they're like, when did we do all that? Well, as much as you did to the least of these, you did it for me. Go into paradise. And then to the goats, they said, he says, you never visited me. You never clothed me. What are you talking about? When did we not do that? Because you never did it for the poor. You didn't do it for me. Now, he, those are unsaved. Now, these are different. The first two parables are about people who are Christians being judged. This is people who are saved and unsaved. Mm. What's he saying there? He's saying that those who truly love me, you'll know by their actions. And so you don't get into heaven by your actions, but you, your heart, your actions will reveal what's in your heart. Yeah. And so there he's saying, be careful. Uh, there's a quote by uh, somebody, I can't remember. It's all those people in heaven and all those people in hell will think they don't deserve to be there. Mm. And I love that quote. Yeah, that's really well said. That's the direction I took. We what with my kids, we we started talking about trees in the, the passage where Jesus is talking about the, the trees will produce the good fruit and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit. And so I said, how do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? It claims to be an apple tree, but how do you know it's actually an apple tree? What produces apples? You know, we went on and on and said, the Christian that we would stand before God said, I'm a, I'm a Christian tree. <laughs> you said, well, what is the fruit? of it how will we know you know yeah. and it's like and and so that's kind of how we ended that analogy but i appreciate your explanation how did you i think a lot of guys i'm interested your background is in law enforcement and yet you seem to love the scriptures how did that happen <laughs> my dad was a cop in la and was shot in the watts riots in 1965 mm. before i was wow. born and then he ended up retiring in 1970 from 72 from complications from the, the shot moved us up to where you were from. It was actually in the First Baptist, or Tri-City Baptist Temple in Sherwood, uh, Oregon. No way. Um, yeah. That's we're, insane. That 19th, must have been, the, yeah, there must have been like three people that lived there. <laughs> it was like very rural. Yeah, it was 1972. <laughs> wow. I was five and um, my dad went up, did the altar call and I ran up behind him and, and we both got saved. I'm just so baffled by that. Did you tell me that, sir? I didn't know you were in no. Sherwood. I lived so much of my life in Sherwood. That's funny. Yeah. We rented a wow. house there for a year because that's all we could afford. And then wow. moved out to Oregon City for wow. lived out like sticks. But I was really, truly saved at five. I mean, I was still with the Spirit. I used to put on my clip-on tie, my patent leather shoes, and go knock on doors and hand out tracks. <laughs> wow. One day, I, my mom pointed out Ricky Nelson in the airport and said he was a famous rock star. So I chased him down when I was six. And I witnessed to that guy for five minutes. And that, that guy sat there and listened to me for five minutes. I'm sure. Yeah, as a kid, yeah. Yeah. But we got into a really legalistic church, one of these very religious, scowling, judgmental, mm. 
rock and roll was bad, movies were bad, alcohol was bad, cards were bad. Like if it was fun, it was a sin. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they thought sex was always bad too, even if you're married, but you know. <laughs> but it was like not the Jesus that I knew. So when I was 12, I was deeply confused at the, and I went to their school. I, I felt like I was just depressed. So I started reading the Bible every day at 12. And I mean, really reading the Bible. I love to read. I was always reading Louis L'Amour and mm. Lord of the Rings and Alistair MacLean. And so I would really seek out the Bible. And by the time I was 15, I knew the Bible so well that I started asking the teachers, what about, well, you know, Second Corinthians says this, well, Ephesians says that. And so they threw me out of their school because I got tired of being judged with the, you know, this thing called the Bible. And I was a polite kid, a loving, sweet kid, mm. skinny and passive and but that's why I knew the Bible. So I really developed a deep love for mm. it when I was young. That's really wow. helped my whole life. Yeah. And and it frankly, it's been helpful because I haven't been trained at seminary. And I find I get to, as a head of promise keepers, talk to all these famous pastors and theologians and we hang out together and I challenge them with all these deep questions and they have no answers. And I'm like, you know, you guys, you're so addicted to your little PhD pyramid that when you're always twisting scripture to try to fit into your little mm -hmm. systematic theology, and so I just love God's word. I don't care what anybody says or what they've told me to think. I care yeah. about what God says. And it's led me to, well, to be passionate about what we're talking about right now, that I think we've gone overboard on grace, which means mm -hmm. I say a little prayer and then I do whatever I want. And I just go to heaven. And hey, what the Bible teaches, brother. Yeah. Is by grace, but. Well, that's where I was going to ask you too, because you, you talked about like our churches are filled with I think you were talking primarily about men who just are kind of addicted to comfort and we just want to be safe. How does a guy, I'm thinking of a guy who's listening, he's 30, he's in his thirties, late twenties, whatever. He's got a couple of kids, he's working a job, he's just trying to like make the ends meet, trying to his best to follow Jesus, you know, in his house and lead his family. But his life probably doesn't feel risky, especially for the sake of the kingdom. You know, it's not like, not really doing anything for the sake of the kingdom that feels risky. So what, like, where does that guy even begin? Yeah, man, let's hit the pavement where, where we need to, like where guys are really at. So first of all, let's, let's tie this whole thing up with a bow. We in the church have sort of come to this belief system that the Christian life is playing defense. It's being a nice person and never doing anything wrong. And that's not at all, again, what the Bible teaches. In fact, yeah. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is the hall of faith. And this is a massively screwed up list of people. And God says, be like them. Mm. And you look at them, you're like, whoa, they, they are like jacked up people when you know their stories. Right. Why? Because God values courage. God values people who are out to change the world, to ask, to bring in his kingdom onto this earth. So this defensive Americanized, I go to church and I, you know, I don't drink too much and I don't, you know, that's not, God wants people who are passionate. Look at King David, just let's go, baby. Okay. So first of all, as uh, that 30 year old needs to start to grasp a hold of who God really is and who he really loves. He loves people who will do whatever it takes to defend those within their care mm. and to advance the kingdom of God forward. Mm. Now, we do that with love and with grace, but we ask, you know, what is love? And we've been taught Americanized version of love is just being nice to everybody, accepting everybody. Well, that's not love. Mm. So the First Corinthians chapter 6 has a list of people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that list is sexual perverts, murderers, thieves, alcoholics, the verbally abusive, and homosexuals. So has this list of people. If I'm loving, I would not let my friend who's an alcoholic, I would not not warn him, right? It says in Luke, 
if you see your brother in sin, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So, but you, it starts with rebuking. We've left off the rebuking part. Mm. And so we need to love people for the right reasons. But if we see people who are doing things that will exclude them from the kingdom of heaven, love is doing all we could to rescue them from that situation, right? Yeah. So we understand that love then is an action and it's risky. It's not just running around being nice to everybody. It's being kind, but dedicated towards what can I do to make that person's life great? You know, if my, if my dad's smoking four packs of cigarettes a day, a love is to go to him and say, daddy, you need to stop smoking. Shut up, you idiot. Okay. I take risk and I keep on. Yeah. It's the same thing with everybody else on that list, right? So warn them, love them. It doesn't mean you have to beat them over the head. I, man, I've got a, a cousin who's a lesbian. She's, I love her to death. She can't wait to see me and get her man hugs from Ken. She knows exactly where I stand. I've, I've told her and warned her, but I still love her. She's still welcome in my life. We still go out with each other. I can't wait to see her when we're together, all those things. So you can be loving, but you also need to be truth. So that's part of the boldness. Second thing is little things like social media. I mean, your generation is terrified of what people think. In my generation, when you want to insult somebody, you had to do it to their face and risk getting punched in the face. Right. Yeah, you guys are able to rip people apart behind your keyboard and think that you were bold. Totally. Yeah. I got yeah. I got crushed on Twitter. I lit up Twitter with something I said, and I started getting all these death threats, and people are saying, "Where's this guy live?" And let's go get him, and let's kill him. And I mean, it was crazy, crazy some of the death threats. And somebody said to me, "Dude, aren't you afraid? Like all these people are saying they want to find where you live and kill you." And I'm like, "Okay, whoever wrote this, this is not some Navy SEAL." This is, this is some dude in his boxer shorts screaming at his mom for his meat love. You know, I mean, really. <laughs> so sometimes with your generation and, and younger, I'm like, what are you afraid of, man? Yeah. So somebody say mean things about you. So freaking what? I mean, it's, yeah. it's life, you know? So Jesus promised if we're following him, we're going to have enemies. And so I think the question is that we all have to ask ourselves is, do I have any enemies? And mm. if so, why? Do they hate me because I'm a jerk? Mm. Or if I'm loving and I'm helping the poor and I'm doing all those things and people hate me because I said it for truth because I said, hey, telling a 10-year-old boy that he's really a girl is evil, mm. evil. And I will stand against that. Oh, how dare you, you transphobic. Well, you know, I will not relent. Mm. We need men in our time to stand up for kids and for truth. So being bold, you don't have to do anything crazy. I think right now there's so much evil permeating everywhere we go. I would say it's just simply starting to take a stand mm. and it's getting involved in our school board. It's asking our kids, what did you learn in school today? No, that's wrong. And go down there and talk to their teacher and saying, you taught my kid this, that's a bunch of garbage. Mm. And here's why. I think we start there. And another part of being bold is really pouring ourselves out for our wives. You know, uh, Coach McCartney, who started Promise Keepers, used to say that um, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're divorced, love their stepmom or something. But Anyway, how much of that, like lack, you talked about rebuking and first, you know, how much of that do you think is not happening? Cause guys are so isolated, especially guys in my generation who yeah. were, were communicating to each other. We're all behind a screen, you know, and nobody really knows each other. Yeah. We have an epidemic of the friendless American male right now. It's another reason why we're pushing the app so much is to get guys in the community, get mm -hmm. guys who are you know, located in Charlotte or Omaha or you know, San Antonio and saying, you know, where do I have real friends and what is a real friend? Well, if your dog dies, if your wife leaves you, if your kid has terminal cancer, you lose your job and go bankrupt, whose couch are you sleeping on? 
Mm-hmm. That's a frat. Do you have someone like that? Do you, do you have two or three people like that in your life? To whom are you accountable in your life? Mm-hmm. Hey man, I I got really mad yesterday and I shoved my wife and well, I can't believe I did it. I feel horrible. I didn't think I was that kind of person. Who can you go to? And if it's over a keyboard, then I ain't a real friend. Mm-hmm. And the thing with it is that men make friends by doing things together, not by communicating. Women make relationships by communicating. They go have lunch. They they go visit with each other. I mean, guys don't visit with each other. We have to be doing something. And why? Because we develop trust when we see somebody else have to perform in a stressful situation. So you and I go fishing. You know, you, you get a, a big fish on the line. You're fighting it. The fish gets off the line. You scream out the F word. I laugh. We go have beers afterwards. And now there's a relationship forming, right? Um, or whatever it may be. We go to the football game and we watch the Broncos play and you know, we battle traffic and then we get in a fight with some rednecks or yeah, all those things. These are what make friendships. And the problem with all generations, it's not just yours, is that we really, very few men have friends. And I would say it's really, really important, but you have to be intentional to go reach out with guys and do things together. Golf, play basketball, hunt, ski, whatever it is that you're into, go do it together to develop real friendships. And you need, and, I, and I, I go speak to women's groups and I tell women all the time, encourage your husband to go out and do things with his friends. It's okay to be one of the right friends. Yeah. But boy, when on a Saturday morning, when he wants to go play golf with three guys that are good guys, let him. Mm. It, it's, it's crushing our country, a lack of friendships. Mm. I want to end with this thought. So let's say you're back on that hospital bed and the doctor just told you the same thing except this time he gave you the, the bad news like you don't you only've got five hours to live and i come in to see you i'm your son and you've got parting words oh for a young guy like me who's trying his best to follow jesus um what are some of your last words to us you know guys? my sons are, are I've, I've talked with them and they all everything i've just said to you they've heard me say so many times mm-hmm. So they would have heard all this. And I would say the same thing to my daughter, my son-in-law, walk with Jesus, never, ever relent. There's a list of, of five, of eight, excuse me, of eight sins in, in Revelation 21, eight of people who are known by these sins, these sins will for sure go to the lake of fire forever. Revelation 21, eight, that list has people that you would expect. It has murderers, adulterers, um, idolaters. You know what that list starts with? You know the first group on that list? Cowards. Mm. Cowards. The last person on that list is all liars. Mm. And so I would say, cowardice and lying, they go together hand in hand. Why are most people liars? Because they're cowards. So I would say to my kids what I have always said to them, walk with Christ, believe God's word. If it's in God's word, it's the truth. And if it's not in God's word, it might not be the truth. But we, we lean on God's word and never, ever back down from a fight. Um, it doesn't mean you have to fight everything that comes along. Sometimes we need to exercise wisdom, but never, ever. I say in that book, being brave is not being not scared. Being brave is being scared and doing what you need to do anyway. Yeah. And being a coward is not being scared. It's not doing the right thing because you're scared. Yeah. And... And then we're closing, so I just want to say for guys who are in their 30s or, or late 20s, what's the most important thing in most of those guys' world is sex. Mm. You know the greatest way to have a lot of sex is for your wife to respect you. Mm. You know who a wife's going to respect? A guy with a set of balls, a guy who is brave. And so I would say just really putting the rubber on, to the road where this is, everything I've said 
on this podcast, those are all things that will bless you in eternity and they will bless you now. Because mm -hmm. as you are a man who exercises bravery and takes a stand, you can be gentle. You don't have to be a jerk. But as you are a man with values who fights for your wife, I'm going to tell you something, a wife who feels like no matter what, my husband will provide for me. He would never back down. I feel safe in his arms. That's a woman who wants to take her clothes off for her husband. Mm -hmm. I, I see so many guys, you know, from promise keepers who come to me with issues that tend as they're always around in-laws, money, or sex. And I guarantee you when there's not enough sex, it's almost always because the wife doesn't respect her husband enough. Mm. So if I want to put the rubber to the road there, I think, um, do all those things and be a bold God, man of God. And not only will you be blessed in eternity, but you'll be blessed on this earth too, with a family that loves and respects you and looks up to you and says, that's my dad. Mm. Yeah, my friend Jason Wilson says it well. He said the the balance between being a lion and lamb in the way that Jesus was. I know when to uh, to be a lion, and I'm ferocious when I need to be, and uh, and I know when to be a lamb and gentle, where people feel safe but protected, strong but gentle at the same time. Man, Ken, I'm I'm grateful, man, to to get to catch up with you again. I think a lot of guys are just going to appreciate your kind of no nonsense way of just sharing the gospel and pointing us closer to Jesus encourage all of our listeners go pick up a copy of your book a daring faith in a cowardly world it's always great to see you man i'm, I'm yeah. excited for what promise keepers is going on we'll encourage all of our listeners to go download that app and get those resources but thanks man i appreciate your time yeah thanks man thanks for having me on appreciate it Hey guys, just one more reminder that we have opened up registration for our retreat. We would love to have you come be part of it. Don't miss out on it this year. Go to dadtire.com forward slash retreat. Get your early bird tickets now. Again, dadtire.com forward slash retreat. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.